1: Okay, so we made it to episode two. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. Welcome to Detroit Strange.
0: That's Jessica.
1: That's Alex. We are a Detroit-based podcast interested in the strange and unusual.
0: Yes, we're not a history podcast. We're not a law podcast. We're not an economy podcast.
1: Not an architecture just, podcast. No,
0: we're just a <laughs> podcast here to entertain you about Detroit's odd things.
1: Mm-hmm. So hopefully you're along for the ride with us again. What interested you? Why did you want to jump on this project you know there's
0: just so many weird interesting things about detroit like even i'm just like walking around the town like i just look at things like what is that building why is it here what is it doing like mm-hmm. there's just so many like, things downtown that are like just all around the city and like what's this what's that story yeah you know like we're gonna cover it later but the masonic temple was somewhere i was so fascinated by it for so long which was like
1: It's a weird building. It's a
0: weird building. Mm -hmm. And there's just so many things like that in Detroit that are just so exclusive to Detroit that, like, I want to know more about them. I am a walking Wikipedia. I need to fill in those articles.
1: Fair. Fair. I just think it's a very unique city. I think it has a heart and soul that no other city really has. So I've always been interested in it. And then, like, I went on some history tours and things like that of the city. And there's just so many amazing and weird but, like, kind of cool, sometimes kind of scary, just all over the board things that have happened here that I was, I was really excited to start this project with you.
0: Yes, I'm excited to be doing it with you, too. Yes. so cheers to episode two?
1: We should. What are we drinking today? We are drinking... The we'll Corpse
0: Reviver. Corp- <laughs> I've already had too many. Oh, shoot. Corpse Reviver. We're bringing a Corpse Reviver, which has a nice apple taste.
1: It does. I haven't actually not tasted it. I've only smelled it yet, so let's do that. Mm. It is a lot of apple yeah. going on there. I'm not mad at it. Actually, today's drink makes a lot of sense with... Mm. Our subject matter might involve a little death and it might involve a little trying to revive that corpse. Sounds a little ooky spooky. A little bit. So, um, I don't know. Have you ever heard of a guy called Harry Houdini?
0: No. I'm just kidding. Oh yeah. well, then <laughs>
1: I've got a story for you, my friend. So today I don't
0: know a ton about him to be honest. Though I know like he like would lock himself in chains and shit, and mm-hmm. like disappear or something. I don't know. He's a magician, illusionist, mm-hmm. I the think they call themselves these
1: days. So yes, illusionist definitely. Uh, he was very against spiritualists, as we will find out. And so he actually died in Detroit. A lot of people do know or that. Have you heard that? that? Yeah.
0: Sinai yeah. yeah. Grace Hospital. I don't know. My friend Molly works at a hospital, and she said that she, he died there.
1: The hospital he died in no longer exists. Actually.
0: Well, she's a fucking liar, then. Uh The DMC
1: does exist, though, on the same property. Huh? Are we allowed to swear? I don't care. Okay. Yeah. All right, cool. Swear it up. All the swears. Awesome.
0: <laughs> Producer Patty, <laughs> is swearing okay?
1: It's totally okay. I love that you responded
0: with all the swears instead of swearing. <laughs> Gosh darn right you're allowed to swear. Oh. Darn too.
1: Sometimes I talk like a 75-year-old woman from the Midwest. Same. For, for obvious reasons. So anyway, so he did die in Detroit. There's a lot of very inaccurate facts about it. So I've heard a lot of things. Yeah, so I had always heard like he died in the Majestic. Like you go to a concert the Majestic, somebody's like, "Oh man, did you know Houdini died here? Now we're in a concert. It's so cool." No, he didn't. He didn't even die anywhere close to that, or that his last performance was there. That's what I had always heard. But still, that was not his last performance. He was actually performing in a place that also does not exist. So a lot of these buildings have unfortunately been torn down. Like I said, there are things in their places though. Mm -hmm. So anyway, first of all. You should all look up a picture of Houdini. We'll try to post one somewhere. But what a smoldering look this man had. He's kind of giving me like Patrick Dempsey, McDreamy right Oh, for sure. For sure. Just a little history about him because, you know... It's good to know their history, too. He was born uh, Eric Weiss in Budapest. So this is interesting because his birth certificate actually says Appleton, Wisconsin. What? Yes. So his family did immigrate here, but he was born on April 6, 1874. There's not a ton about his early life, but he left home at the age of 12 and joined his family later in New York. Couldn't really find where he was. Was
0: he actually born in Appleton or where was he born? He was
1: born in Budapest. Okay. But his birth certificate says Appleton. Because back then, I think you could make up paperwork.
0: That sounds right. Like my grandma, she had a birth certificate that said she was born May 2nd, and her social security card said May 3rd, and one of them said that her name is Gertrude Ann, and that one said Gertrude Eleanor. (laughs) So we're still not sure what her actual middle name or her real birth date is.
1: Yeah, I think it was, like, a lot easier to change your information. My grandma actually changed her first name, and I don't believe there was any paperwork involved in it. My grandpa just didn't like her name. Oh. And so when he met her, he changed it. I, it it's a weird. I don't that's completely not, understand that, it. That tracks the time, unfortunately. Yeah. Although she was... My grandma was badass. Good. Maybe we'll talk about it sometime. But So anyway, he was in New York and when he was 12 and joined his family again because that's what 12-year-olds did back then, apparently. And he started his career as an illusionist as well as crafted his body for his exceptional strength. So he just... Worked out a crap ton basically all the she time. Gay? Lift in, lift in, lift in. Sounds he was, gay. no. Damn, I, I mean, he could have been, but like he was married, so uh, to a lady. So he was really interested in crafting his abdominal muscles specifically for the kind of illusionist factor of it, because so I think he wanted to be a showman. So strength was a big part of his act, and he would often invite audience members up to punch him in the gut just I've to heard show. That before, mm-hmm. So he had like a, an iron gut essentially, and he would just like never flinch. I was like, oh my God, that man didn't flinch, and he got hit. So hot in the gut. Uh, so that was like one of his big showman things. Uh, so he married a woman, as I mentioned, named Bess. Uh, she was working at Coney Island in a song and dance act called the Floral Sisters and was the firstly approached actually by Harry's younger brother, Theo. But... Harry th- made her disappear. Into his arms, yeah. yes, and Harry ended up marrying her in 1894. They when you say
0: Coney Island, do you mean to Coney Island here in Detroit? No, New York, okay. yeah, yeah. This oh, is all in New York still, Coney they're
1: in New York still at gotcha, this point. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, they performed together often, even had signature trick called Metamorphosis. They had big posters, and oh my god, Metamorphosis is coming to town, let's go see it. It was very big and exciting. Bess did not always perform though, uh, and often used more of her time watching their pets and creating costumes for his act. So, uh oh. So she was not always with him, but sometimes was. So now we're going to come over to Detroit in the early 1900s, a brief history on it. You have to picture it. The primary source of population growth at the time was Eastern European immigrants, uh, as we talked about last week on your your episode. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. And white farmers moving into the city from their farms. The first automobile plant opened around 1901, and it was a short-lived Oldsmobile plant. It's no longer with us. And Ford opened a downtown plant in 1903 called the Paquette Plant, and that was followed by the Packard plant, which I think most people are aware of. GM opened a plant in 1908, which established this as the Motor City. Because of all this industrial growth, the population spiked from 285 residents. So 285 people. That's which it? Yeah, which actually had it as the 13th largest city in America at the time to roughly a million people by 1910. 285 people was a, a large city? Yeah, I don't remember the date on that exactly. Again, not a history podcast. I mean, we talk about historical things, but you know. Don't judge us on our accuracy. But it spiked from that to, to a million people when this, like, the Motor City basically was established.
0: That's like an eighth of my graduating mm-hmm. class. 250-something people whatever. 285. 285. And you know
1: what? It might have been 285,000, but still a spike from 285,000 to he- a million is a big spike. <laughs> That sounds a bit more right. Yeah, I think I forgot some zeros there. <laughs> again, not a math podcast. But that's still four times the population. That's a big spike in yeah, in no, a totally. short amount of time. And it reached 1.5 million by the end of the, the roaring 20s. And the city is booming now. By 1920, it had become the U.S.'s fourth largest city. So, yeah. again, similar timelines here. So, um Houdini toured all the time. One of his biggest tricks, though, was actually from the Belle Isle Bridge. That bridge has been rebuilt since then. It was an old wooden bridge, but yeah, he. It burned down, right? Yes. Yeah. I believe so, but uh, so, yeah. So Houdini knew what was up and made Detroit a place to go because, again, this huge population lives here now. So in the late November of 1906, he ventured to Detroit for two weeks with the performances at uh, the Temple Theater, which was the vaudeville theater in Campus Martius. It closed in 1928, though, so a lot of these buildings are gone now. And during the stint, he pulled one of his most epic, well-known stunts. He jumped off the the Belle Isle Bridge, uh, and it did burn down in 1915. Coincidence. Um, Hmm. Uh, the current one's made eight years later in 1923 but that's the one that we still have today Mm. and he was handcuffed and his legs were bound now some people even claim that the river was frozen we'll get to that later when he did it there was a hole cut in the ice. But this fact is not corroborated in any way, shape, or form. And is most likely untrue as I looked up the temperature in November of 1906, and the average temperature was 39.6 degrees, and rivers don't freeze at 39.6 degrees. No,
0: they move. they got to be real cold for that.
1: Yeah. So November 27th, which was just a little bit after this had happened, there was a front page story in the Detroit News, that read, tied to a lifeline, 113 feet long, handcuffed with two of the best and latest model handcuffs in the possession of the Detroit Police Department, nerved by the confidence of a lion in his own powers. Houdini, the wonder worker at the Temple Theater, leaped from the draw span of the Belle Isle Bridge at one o'clock in the afternoon, freed himself from the handcuffs while underwater, then swam to a waiting lifeboat, passed over the unlocked and open cuffs, and clamoured aboard. So this is somebody's recounting of that. So there were safety harnesses to get him back out, and this is interesting because he basically lied about this for the rest of his life. So in 1953 there was a movie, and actually in 2014, a mini-series based on Houdini. And and they both showed the stunt, but both of them a little bit different, but they showed it with him getting caught under the ice because that was the tall tale that eventually got told. In one production, he even saw the ghost of his deceased mother who helped guide him out of the water. Oh God. Yes. So however, the, t- the story was told by Houdini himself, two people, but it's speculated to be fiction as he'd often changed the location and details of this incident, probably trying to use a little misdirection. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but illusionists tend to like it. I heard of her. <laughs> misdirection. Oh, that would be a good drag name there's general on the stage misdirection yes in one t- telling of the event he actually said it happened on no- December 2nd you know make it a little colder and in another telling it happened in Pittsburgh so oh and another one he was also locked in a trunk
0: I know Detroit's big but I don't think Pittsburgh's in Detroit no
1: so again this story changed a little bit so yeah. that just gives you a little history of like his illusion you know and and such yeah so now we're going to fast forward a little bit into the 20s. And he was, again, touring as he normally did. He had another planned trip to Detroit, but he had a stop in Montreal first. So he's up in Canada doing Canadian things.
0: We
1: wee wee! And he traveled to Detroit via train from Montreal, Canada. Canada. I can say Canada. Uh, while in Montreal, he had given a speech about spiritualist tricks because he was not really into the spiritualist movement he what do you wanted- mean
0: spirit, like the religion or spiritualism, and like Ouija boards that kind of
1: stuff Ouija boards like people who could commune with the dead bring back the dead uh, any anything with kind of connecting with afterlife
0: you know what's bonkers hmm. the Ouija board they're terrifying. It was created as a parlor game, like some like old funny dads back in the like late 80s, like, you would know be great as a fun parlor trick. Let's talk to the dead with this Ouija board. Yeah, <laughs> like that, and, like seances and like number theory. Like,
1: I mean, everything was conceptualized by people kind of looking for something to do. If you think about it, I mean, that's true. They didn't have like TV or mm-hmm. movies or. I mean, I don't think anybody came from the afterlife and was like, you need to light a candle and sprinkle salt around yourself. But that, you know, those are all parts of seances if people have it. Right. Where did these traditions come from is actually kind of a question I'm having right now.
0: All I know is a Hasbro owns Ouija board now.
1: Which is, that is weird though, that you can buy it in like the game aisle. I saw it at Five Below once and I kind of regret not buying one.
0: (laughs) So I would fuck with that. I wouldn't fuck with like when I found out, like a, like a resale shop and some like flea market. It mm-hmm. was like actually made of wood and like.
1: Mhm. But if you knew it was like today's genuine plastic, you'd be on board.
0: Yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> Nothing can haunt plastic.
1: No. No. It's. If we would have heard from John Rivers by now. <laughs> so he was he was giving the speech about things like of that nature, at the Princess Theatre in Montreal. Or he had a performance at the Princess Theatre in Montreal coming up right after the speech on October 16th. So before his performance, a group of college boys from um, McGill, which was a university, admired him, and they paid him a visit in his dressing room. He was sitting down, and one of the boys... Jay Gordon Whitehead asked if he could punch the famous illusionist in the stomach as he had seen or, well, heard. I don't think he saw it. They didn't have TV. But he had heard about being able to do. Houdini complied and said yes and started to get up. However, his muscles were not tight at this point in time. So normally he would tense his muscles up for this trick. And since he was standing up, you can't really, like, do the same... He you just wasn't doing it right. yet. But the young gentleman went to go ahead and punch him in the stomach. I have different numbers. Most sources say four powerful blows to the stomach were made by this gentleman.
0: What a fucking dick. Like, can I punch you? Like, you usually expect me once. Like, it goes pow, 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 pow.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Ew. And so uh, this kind of like knocked Houdini back for a second. And he had not braced himself. So he told him to stop. Like, Houdini yelled stop, as one does when they're getting punched in the stomach. And then he performed for two and a half hours at the theater before jumping on his train ride to Detroit for his performances. Uh, Some people think that possibly he had appendicitis before these punches occurred. Again, with medicine, you know, and where it was at that point in time, who exactly knows? Uh, So it's very uncertain. A doctor did state here, though, that the appendicitis could have been brought on by the blows, to the organ as well that makes sense so he either had it beforehand or these punches because the way he hit just really obliterated his appendix so houdini's like well that sucked whatever i'm gonna get on this train to detroit he and i believe uh Bass was with him so his wife was with with him and he started to complain of abdominal pain and was seen by an onboard nurse and on basically yeah on the train there was a nurse okay i mean different times I
0: mean, I don't know what American trains look like, so maybe they all This have is nurses. a Canadian train,
1: they're better. Let's true let's just acknowledge that. He saw this nurse and she was like, "Well, oh, you don't look good, sir. So they radioed ahead to Detroit and he was seen almost immediately and diagnosed with appendicitis at that point in time. Again, nobody knows exactly when he got it. And he refused to cancel his show, which was at the Garrick Theater, where basically the David Stott building is in downtown. You can look that up if you'd like to. But he had a temperature of 104 degrees, but he's like, no, 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 the show must go on. So he was so sick, he even passed out several times during his October 24th show. The man would pass out and then just get back up again and keep performing. Holy crap. Unfortunately, this was also his last show. Yeah. So after the performance, he went back to the Statler Hotel, which is where he was staying. He was attended to by Detroit's best physician, but his condition was unfortunately so severe that he was transferred to Grace Hospital. So it was called Grace Hospital, so it's not the same as today's. Yeah. Um, this was demolished in 1979, but it's located in the Midtown area by the DMC campus. Okay. Uh, in fact, it's basically, from what I've seen, their parking lot okay, so is where being, the actual hospital is. the parking lot? Yes, Exactly. If you want to find Houdini, go... Well, we'll get to that later, though, actually. Um, people have tried to find him. So, um, at Grease Hospital, was discovered that his appendix had not only ruptured, but that he had developed... I'm not a doctor, so stay with me. Peritonitis.
0: Yeah, it's uh, inflammation of... Learn about this...
1: During your MCATs?
0: <laughs> no, I I was a biomed major for three oh, years. Oh, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: I went to Japan to study medicine. Oh, I And then I didn't it came I back and was like, I'm going to study computers instead. But yeah, peritonitis. I'm pretty sure... Again, we're not a medicine podcast. I'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure that's an inflammation of the
1: lining of the abdominal cavity. Yeah. Bacterial infection of the membrane lining the abdominal cavity. Very good. A plus to you, sir. So it's similar to a staph infection, but it's interior. Houdini didn't worry much, though, about having this infection. He even remarked... He remarked... No, he said... That's how people speak. I'll get out of this the way I always get out of everything. So he's a little cocky. (laughs) Well, his physician noticed that he was the best patient they'd ever had. Like, everybody at the hospital basically loved him. And I, I don't think just because he was Houdini, but maybe. Uh, they said he fully understood the gravity of his condition. Dr. Kennedy, who was his attending, noted going on saying he was a perfect gentleman and patient. During his last few days, Houdini told Dr. Kennedy about his disbelief in spiritualism and about a promise he had made with his friends to try and communicate with them after his death. So because he didn't believe in it, he was like, you know what? If it's possible, I'll do it. I like that. Yeah. And he had stated, I am nothing but a fake while you, Dr. Kennedy, do great things for your fellow man. So he was talking about his illusion. and oh. uh, His last word to his wife Bess i found a couple different things one of them said i'm licking them what? which i can- <laughs> exactly like i can't imagine that that was actually but i read this article multiple times and nowhere else talked about his last words to his wife so i kept it in there but it was later to be claimed that he actually said a code to her for her to know that it was him from the afterlife so a secret code that only she would know but he was still alive right no, 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 but he's saying, like, if I can communicate with you past the dead... This is what I'll say. This is what I'll say to you. Which is why I think it's hard to find, because it was a secret code.
0: Have you ever thought about what you want your last words to be?
1: No, I have not.
0: I just did just now, and I was like, I'm going to tell them, like, I have a treasure hidden somewhere, and fully have no treasure. Just send <laughs> nice. all my relatives on, like, a goose chase, like, <laughs> it's buried underneath the oak tree in the old school yard. Just something cryptic, and just have them go on a goose chase, and I'll just be, like, laughing in hell, probably. It's but fun, it's like, yeah.
1: It's like games. Yeah. Games are fun. Yeah. <laughs> so his official last words, though, were, I'm tired of fighting, which is appropriate. Yeah. Uh, he said it to his brother, Theodore Hardine, who, again, he stole a lady from. And his official time of death is 126, October 31st. What day is that? Halloween. Oh, 1926 at Halloween. the age of 52. Room four oh one, Grace Hospital. So they sent him off to be embalmed, obviously, in Detroit. And he was embalmed and stored in a bronze coffin with a glass lid from WR Hamilton and Company Funeral Home, which was on Cass Avenue. It is across from the modern day old Miami. The building is still standing, it is no longer a funeral home. What's the old Miami? Oh, the, the old Miami is a bar, yeah. It used to be a biker bar in Detroit now. They do a lot of concerts and stuff. They have a really nice backyard area actually for just like sipping and talking Where in the about? summertime. Cass Avenue. Let's go this summer. Yeah, I think it's like Cass and Selden area Um, it's yeah good time there so he had actually created this coffin though for a trick so this coffin was not supposed to be a death coffin it was supposed to be an illusion coffin And he wanted to use it as a prop in the show, but there was never a public viewing of his body. It was kept very tight. Uh, in 1981, though, the building that this was in was sold to the Art Center Music School for some time. So it was a music school for a little bit. The current building was struck by lightning, though, in October of 2016. So was that on the 31st? Died? I don't think so, but again, I let's cannot see, find this. Okay, let's do that for funsies. We're but not it- a
0: historically accurate
1: podcast. <laughs> no. Uh, but it caused a fire and a hole in the roof, and so it led to a lot of damage and water damage. And so the building's just kind of chilling there. We'll get back to this building at the end, though, because I have a fun photo to show you of it. Ooh. But it's been on use since September of 2018, so not that long. His body was then put on a train at... Where do you think they got the train at? Central Station. Grand Central Station. Accompanied by his wife and taken back to New York for burial. He is buried November 4th in Queens, New York, so again, only four days. That was like the quickest... Embalming, get it in a coffin, get it on a train, get it to the place situation ever. Because, like, four-day turnaround for, like, traveling, that's quick. And Queens, New York, with thousands of mourners in attendance. So he, he's gone now, but because he had said he could communicate, or if he could communicate in the afterlife, he would, a lot of people started doing some seances, including his wife. So for the next decade, his wife would hold a yearly seance on Halloween in attempt to make communication with him and hear those words, I'm licking them. Although again, I don't know that those were the actual words she was looking for. Some sort of code. Uh, this tradition was continued by illusionists and magicians for a long time after. They would gather in the city around a pair of handcuffs, two candles and a book. So there were people gathering here. She would not do her seances here, she would just do a seance do you know on the book. D- it just said a book. I'm assuming something about him, but it just said a book. I'm hoping it's like Judy Bloom. In yes. Judy Bloom was huge in the 20s. Yes. Huge. I mean, there God, It's
0: me, Harry Houdini. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> Perfect. Um, and then they would also put a portrait of him. Uh, there were people who would go into the room he had actually died in, 401 at Grace Hospital. And this would have been his ultimate trick if you think about it. You know, like he was an illusionist. So most of it was like sleight of hand, things of that nature. It would have been interesting because he did also spend most of his life like trying to debunk that this could happen so on january 9th though the in 1930 the detroit newspaper reported that bess had received a secret code during the seance this article is kind of a weird convoluted one but i'm going to read a little bit of it please everyone keep both feet flat on the floor mrs houdini appeared to be asleep a convulsive twitching started the talk with the control spiritual guide fletcher Hello, hello, Fletcher. This man is coming now, he says. Hello, Bess, my sweetheart, he says it's the code you and he used to use in the mind-reading act. First of all, he says the word Rosabelle. Do you remember all that it stands for? Oh, yes, the plaintive little figure on the couch answered. She courageously sang the words of the song. Rosabelle, sweet Rosabelle, I love you more than I can tell. Over me you cast a spell. I love you, my sweet Rosabelle, Fletcher went on. He's smiling now. He's showing me a picture, two curtains. I draw the curtain so, the secret code of ten words. 1. Pray. 2. Answer. 3. Talk. 4. Then. 5. Tell. 6. Will. 7. Hurry. 8. Listen. 9. Look. 10. Hear. In the code, each numeral represents a letter of the alphabet. A is 1, B is 2, C is 3, and so on. Beyond ten, the numbers would be doubled. Worked out, the first word answer is B. Tell is 3. Pray answer is L. Look is I, answer is V, and tell is E. Believe. The message that I want to give my wife is, Believe, Rosabel. believe. Is that right? The control asked. Yes, it is. Mrs. Houdini answered. So apparently the word believe was supposed to be this, like, trick thing that he had told her. So after this, this is a corroborated news report. Later, Bess admitted to being sick during the seance and after recovering fully, no longer thought the message came from her husband. So basically, she was like, I was just loopy that day. I just wanted to believe it. So she gave up. uh I mean,
0: considering that like late 1800s, early 1900s, medicine was like, let's put heroin in cough syrup because it helps you stop coughing.
1: Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. so she was probably, like, high out of her mind on something. Yeah. And she basically said that. She gave up the seances six years later after this in 1936 because she was just, like, I've tried this for, like, ten, I think it had been ten years at that point. She was yeah. just, like, he, he's not he, he not coming back. He would
0: have made it wait right that long. Yeah. was, like, I want to debunk this, yeah. so I would
1: have it, you know. it, it could have taken him a few years to figure out how, but. Yeah. Right. So in 1930, she moved away from Manhattan. So actually, basically, right after this incident, to Hollywood and started to promote her late husband's memory with his manager and partner, Edward Saint. On Halloween of 1926, they had conducted or 36, sorry, they conducted the final Houdini séance on the roof of the Knickerbocker Hotel in Hollywood, where beside a photograph of her late husband, she put a candle and claimed to have burned for 10 years. She died February 11, 1943. So quite a bit later. Well, not I'm mean, super long time, but a little bit later. But her family would not allow her to be inferred next to him because, or- well. He was Jewish and she was Roman Catholic, which is a little bit sad. They can't sleep forever together. Shade. Yeah. So since Houdini's death, though, we're going to go back to Grace Hospital where he died. Uh, It has been taken down and basically is located in the parking lot. A man named Bob Frank Jr., who was a former employee in the hospital, felt compelled to photograph and document the room Houdini died in. So he wrote a letter to, there's a Houdini organization you can find online, that he remembered taking photos and saw a bed made with a white woven bedspread over top of the pillow. However, after developing the photos, he noticed a messy, unmade bed with a newspaper lying next to a tray. Was it a signal? So basically it was a very clean room and he developed the photo, like he remembered it being very clean. He developed the photos and he was like, that bed's unmade. Oh my God. And there's a newspaper. That is weird. Yeah, it is a little weird. And actually I have the photo of the unmade bed right here. So that's the photo with the unmade bed. There's a newspaper. You can kind of see, sorry, I'm trying to right there.
0: That is weird. Yeah.
1: So it's a little bit spooky. And then also I have another little, you want to hear something else? Spooky. Ours. Okay, so we're going to go back to the place he was embalmed, the place across the street from the old Miami, this this building. In 2015, so not that long ago, an illusionist visiting Detroit had taken his picture in front of this building, because who's not going to go on the, if you're an illusionist, you're right. going to go on the Houdini tour when you're here, even if it's by you. Yeah. yeah. So they went to the funeral home where he was embalmed, and when they zoom in on the picture, it looks like there's a guy in the window. I'm not going to tell you who I think this guy in the window looks like, but it looks like, more like a different famous figure to me, but do you see in the middle here?
0: Yeah, do you think it kind of looks like, it's either Hitler, or like, maybe, like, it's someone with a mustache. Charlie Chaplin, maybe?
1: Oh, it does look like Chaplin. It looked like Edgar Allan Poe to me a little Ooh, bit. Oh, I
0: see that now yeah you say that.
1: Yes. So, but it does look like a person in this window. So, again, a little spooky, spooky, a little bit weird there. Yeah. Uh, we're going to show it to producer Patty a little bit. We'll post it on our Instagram, too. I'm going to try to check the uh, royalties on that, too, to see if we can share it or not. Close, right? It wasn't in operation. No, this is an abandoned building at this point in time. Ooh, that's ooky spooky yeah so it is a little bit strange so that is uh the death of harry houdini as it happened in detroit michigan and the seances that followed i have a a couple different sources i actually have a lot because it's all over the place including mlive.com 99wfmk.com motorcitymuckrakers.com upi.com WildAboutHoudini.com, LostStory.net, Detroit1701.org, MichiganOtherSide.com, Houdini.org, MagicDetective.com, and Wikipedia. Did
0: you watch? I guess they they did a Drunk History about Detroit, and he was in it, I believe.
1: You know what? I did see that episode. I did not even mm-hmm. think about rewatching it for this episode. Although I probably should have. We should watch the episode. Yeah, there were some uh, some some of our locals from our community that were in that episode too. Oh, really? Right. Yeah, a little bit uh, when they were like in the bars and stuff like that. In it, yeah. I love that. Yeah, Houdini.
0: That was a fascinating story. And ookie spooky. I like that a
1: little bit. Yeah, when I first got into it, I didn't think I was going to find that much on it, and then I started going a little deeper I mean, and deeper. Get and I was you like, Harry oh.
0: Houdini like you're going to find something because it's such mm-hmm. a big name.
1: Well, and I was really intrigued just because like I had heard of it, but. I knew nothing about the actuality of it. Yeah, it was all very different from what I was expecting. Yeah, so so we should probably wrap up this episode. So let's do our two tooths and a lie. Sounds good to me. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass it over to you to start. All right.
0: Okay, here we go. Uh, I fell down the Spanish Steps in Rome. I won an arm wrestling contest in Tokyo, and I won a dance contest in France at a cabaret. Paris, like they do, like the, the the
1: Moulin Rouge.
0: But the other one. Like what's the, what's like the category of that? Is that the cabaret? I think so. Okay. Yeah. So I wanted to contest at one of those. The first one. That's true.
1: Dang it. I lost.
0: I, I bought these sandals that were had like a leather bottom. Mm-hmm. They uh were had no grip and had been raining in Rome.
1: Oh, I imagine that's really slippery.
0: Especially when you're wearing shoes that are leather on okay. the sole. Yeah. So I like slipped and fell on the on the Spanish steps. The lie was um that I won the arm wrestling contest in Tokyo. I lost. Ugh. I'm not that's a, a trick. I'm not a strong man. But I was at this bar called Memories in Shinjuku, which is like the nightlife district of Tokyo. Mm-hmm. And my friend Robin knew Someone who worked there named Tsubasa. But yeah, so he did at this bar and it is um arm wrestling contest and I was like 19 and I lost oh. tremendously. Oh. But I did win the dance contest and I won oh, a t-shirt.
1: I didn't doubt that for a second.
0: It was That I mean, was a giveaway. It wasn't tough. That was a freebie for me. Right. It was wasn't tough competition.
1: <laughs> nice work. So I yeah. guess it's my turn. Um uh, me a little more niche this time. So let's see here. These are things that make me cringe. Nails on a chalkboard. Okay. The sound of two dry napkins rubbing together. Interesting. The sound of styrofoam rubbing against other styrofoam.
0: Oh, I hate that. So I think that's the truth. I almost want to say the napkins one because like nails on a chalkboard, like that's unpleasant for everyone. And styrofoam is just also unpleasant. Like the napkin one is too specific, but no, I feel that might make it true then. I, you got to vote.
1: I can't tell you the answer until you vote. <laughs> I'm going to say the styrofoam one. Nope. really do hate that. Uh, The untrue one is actually nails on a chalkboard. does not really bother me. Really? Yeah. But napkins rubbing together, especially like really dry, cheap napkins, cannot stand it. Really? It gives me goosebumps on my goosebumps. It stops me dead in my tracks every time. One time I went on this weird canoeing trip with like a camp. I went to a weird bike canoeing camp. Uh, So like we spent days like biking like 60 miles a day and then like we canoed like 15 miles down a river on like the last day or whatever camping Shit. and we went to pizza hut after i was like in high school we went to pizza hut afterwards on the way Pizza
0: hut. Yeah, yeah hey
1: pizza hut hashtag not sponsored and they all found out my napkin affliction because my friend was with me and i had 12 teenage girls rubbing napkins in my face For like, slap a hoe? I should have. I really should have. I cringed so hard.
0: Like, I think one of the things I can't stand listening to is when people are chewing food, like, really crunchy food, but, like, in a place, like, if it's, like, somewhere like a cafeteria where people are supposed to be eating, fine, but, like, if it's in, like, a classroom or, like, an office where, like, I expect there not to be, like, loud-ass chewing or, like, at least, Mm -hmm. like, somewhat quiet, and people are just like, (sighs) I'm like, fuck all the way off. I hate you.
1: I wish I had something loud and crunchy to start eating while you were I saying that. I that. That would have been a fun, fun little side thing. Yeah. So yeah, episode two wrapped up in the books now, I yeah. think. Hope
0: you stay staged, Detroit. Yeah, super Keep strange. For next week, see what happens.
1: Follow us on social media.
0: Instagram and Twitter at, at Detroit Strange. And if you want to send us any questions or email us anything, suggestions, whatever, feedback. We love feedback. Mm-hmm. feedback Personal stories. If yeah. You've, felt the Houdini spirit yeah. in Detroit ever.
1: Yeah. If you had a seance in Detroit, I want to hear about it.
0: Even if you just want to say hi, email us at detroitstrange at gmail.com.
1: Okay, see you later. Bye. This has been a production of Planet Amp Podcast, powered by Pinecast. Our theme song was created by Sax and Violence.